Welcome to QTalks, a podcast series by QTech, the Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. I'm Thomas. And I'm Shreya. And we're your hosts for QTalks, a series for aspiring innovators in which we talk about the typical and not so typical journeys of making ideas reality and changing the world. This week on QTalks, we have Nina Carroll with us as a guest co-host. Hi, I'm Nina. I've just completed a master's in corporate law at Cambridge and will be training as a solicitor in Ireland in the coming months. We're continuing our special series on female founders with Carlene Jackson, CEO of Brighton-based tech company Cloud9 Insight. Carlene established her first business age 17 and then spent nearly two decades in the software industry before going it alone to take advantage of the booming cloud technology sector. Cloud9 Insight is a Microsoft Gold partner, which has provided more than 700 UK businesses with cloud-based CRM software systems. Founded in 2010, the company has 30 staff and is also an award-winning provider of training and apprenticeship programs, which it runs through its sister company, Vantage Academy. Hi, Carlene. Thanks for coming on the show with us. It's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. If you could begin with telling us about your background and some career highlights. Sure. So I would say that I started uh, my career at IBM, actually. I was uh, recruited quite young and they uh, invested a huge amount of training with me and I pretty much stuck in the uh, IT industry uh, ever since then. I did actually have a go at trying to be an air traffic controller, but being dyslexic uh, probably wasn't a good idea because telling your left from your right is actually quite important. but but then, yeah, I've, I've sort of stayed in, in, in between sort of sales and consulting in selling customer relationship management to different businesses. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting career. And so about 10 years ago, I founded and set up Cloud9 Insight, uh, which is a business that works with Microsoft Cloud Technology to help small businesses uh, support their sales, marketing and customer services processes. So that's been a, a really exciting journey for me. And you have been given many accolades, including multiple top female tech entrepreneur awards. To what do you owe your success? I guess for for many people, uh, it's just important to believe in yourself. And of course, it's normal that you maybe uh, don't sometimes. But I think surrounding yourself with people who have a positive attitude to just go and try things. Uh, Perhaps being a dyslexic means that I've uh, not always expected to succeed. And I would say that I probably look at things um, sometimes in a different way than maybe other people. There's a lot of successful entrepreneurs out there who are dyslexic, but perhaps they tackle things in a, in a different way. Instead of saying, well, everybody's tried that before, but actually it, uh, it hasn't worked. Uh, so I think that perhaps t- taking a sort of out-of-the-box approach uh, and trying new things uh, is, is always a good thing. And, and the advice that my uh, brother actually gave me years ago when setting out was, uh, as an entrepreneur, he says, don't just wait for the for that new invention, which is what I thought it took to be an entrepreneur. He said, just find something that a lot of people are doing, but do it better. And that that was really a very inspiring moment for me to to think about doing something, but doing it better than anyone else. Uh, and that's really helped me. I suppose looking at things differently is where all the best ideas tend to come from um, when you're an entrepreneur. And I suppose entrepreneurship is a difficult journey with many harsh realities, as I'm sure you can appreciate. And what can other entrepreneurs do to gain recognition for their work? I would say that one of the important things that I've looked to do is to um, 
to create a brand. Uh, and I think that one of the pieces of advice that I was actually given uh, early on in my career at IBM was to, uh, it's important to um, think of your personal brand, what do you want to be known for? And so really be true to that. And sometimes look for, it's a good idea to sort of look for role models in your life that uh, could inspire you for different things, whether it's how they manage their time, how they talk with confidence. Um, and so that's been really important for me. You've, you've already mentioned that you started a company, Cloud9. And can you tell us a little bit more about what Cloud9 does and what do you do better than anyone else? Oh, thank you. Uh, so at Cloud9, I'm the founder and CEO. Uh, I would say that I'm really like a coach in the business. At this stage, I've got a team of just under 20 people. And so I, you could say I'm quite connected with what we're doing with our customers, what everybody else in the, in the team is doing. And for me, it's about looking ahead in the business to think about what should we be doing? Where should we be going? Keeping an eye on the competition, being inspired by what's happening in the marketplace Uh, looking for innovations, making sure that uh, you have to, as a business, keep reinventing yourself, not necessarily significant, but making sure you're relevant for your customers. And so just really keeping open in the market. But my role day to day is also supporting and coaching my team. Um, and the other sort of my two favorite areas in the business are actually HR and the people side of things and also marketing. Uh, so it's it's fair to say that I get probably a bit, a little bit more entrenched in those areas uh, than maybe I should as a business owner, but I just absolutely love those two areas, which I'm told actually as an entrepreneur is quite unique. Most of the time, um, entrepreneurs are either in the sort of technical end, back end or in the sales side. But yeah, no, I love the marketing and people side of things. And, and maybe just to clarify, and, and what does Cloud9 do? So Cloud9 is a Microsoft Go partner. And that, what that means is that we support small businesses, uh, so up to, say, 300 users at a time, in using cloud technology to support their sales and marketing processes. So if you imagine a small business, perhaps, uh, a, say, a professional services business uh, who are selling uh, people's time, it's really important for them to be able to track the customers that are in the sort of sales cycle where they're sort of prospecting to them and, and nurturing them, because maybe it might take a few years before they actually sign a contract, uh, marketing to those customers uh, and maybe even delivering to those customers. So all of this, these different sort of processes of managing communications with customers need to be tracked uh, in a system because maybe employee uh, might leave or go and you need to have that visibility of what's happening in the organization. Uh, and especially if people are maybe working from home as well, it's it's really important that you have a system where people can log in and track conversations and things that are happening with their customers. Otherwise, the customer experience um, isn't that great if you're sort of speaking to different people across the organization and it's there's not a consistency there of knowledge and insight about what's actually happening. And as a business owner, one thing that's really important, especially as you grow, is it's really important to be able to see what's actually happening in the business. So are my people actually performing? Are they uh, offering huge discounts when they shouldn't be uh, on their quotes? Um, are customers being actually called back? What's the sort of feedback from the customer? All of these different customer interactions really need to be managed And then you can look to, to do the best possible service that you can. And so as a Microsoft Gold partner, has it 
helped that you are able to leverage the backing of such a big industry partner as opposed to as a startup starting in this field by yourself? Um, And how do you think that other startups can do similar to work with big industry players such as Microsoft? That's a great question. Uh, I would say that it's definitely not to be underestimated to work under a, a larger brand and Microsoft, that I often joke with people that it's almost like a franchise and it isn't really, um, except that you do need to sort of, you're, you, to become a sort of a status of gold status with Microsoft, you do need to pass uh, certain certifications with your team to achieve different levels of silver and gold, um, which I think is a great thing because, first of all, you can invest in your team to have the right skills. And also it means that you're going to meet certain quality standards. So that's quite important. And I think it's a really fantastic asset for any startup to be able to uh, attach their own brand to a bigger, more recognized brand. Because then when you pick up the phone, and say, hey, I'm a Microsoft Go partner, it automatically gives you a, a lot of credibility for the quality standards that they should expect that you will deliver. So where possible, absolutely, it's a great thing to be affiliated with a, a, a brand that's already well established in the marketplace. Mm. And just so that I understand, you said that it's kind of like a franchise, but not exactly. Um, can you possibly explain how how that conversation goes to to be onboarded with with somebody like Microsoft as one of their partners um, and also how uh, how the IP structure works um, for if you're using their products to then coordinate with your clients um, how, how does that structure work yeah great question um, so I would say that I often uh, sort of think of the way the Microsoft ecosystem works is that they sell, they have, Microsoft have licenses that they develop like Office 365, like the Dynamics licenses, other other licenses uh, of products. And they're almost like an engine that you might put in a car. And then the car, the shape and how it looks that uh, the different sort of manufacturers might have, in other words, the different Microsoft partners can look exactly as you want it to. It can look like a sports car. It can look like a family car, uh, a van if you want. So all the partners come to the marketplace defining the sort of the package of services because for in most instances, the the software licenses that Microsoft uh, develop by themselves probably won't really come to life until you've actually embedded them with some services and um, some assistance and training for the client. So, for example, how most partners work, or probably how all partners work, is that they would sell the Microsoft licenses and they will be given a commission for selling that license. It might it varies, but it might be, say, 20%, for example, or 10%. Um, it really depends on what licenses. Um, and that margin, they'll be able to sort of... Um, to sort of pocket, as it were, forevermore, because they, these licenses are recurring licenses. Um, but what they, they can't really make a ton of money out of just selling that license. You actually need to wrap around services that are relevant for your target customers. So you might actually build a sort of wraparound uh, of uh, additional, uh, making package a bit more relevant. For example, if you were selling into hospitality and leisure, you might uh, package up some additional capability within the out-of-the-box service, the product that Microsoft have, and you can charge a little bit extra. But in addition, you might sell training or ongoing support. So it's these extra peripheral 
services that are your own IP of what you know about, say, for example, a particular industry that will really make you the money. So it's a combination of Microsoft's license IP. Um, and so how it actually works is that we typically invoice the client for the license. And then on a monthly basis, that money effectively, uh, a part of that money will then go to Microsoft on a monthly basis. And so we have the, you could call it the billing relationship with the customer, which I think is quite important. So you've been the founder and the CEO of Cloud9 for 10 years now, um, and obviously being a Microsoft Gold Partner was a significant and big milestone for the company. Could you tell us about some of the other milestones that Cloud9 has achieved over the last 10 years? Sure. Yeah, so I guess as I actually started the business and I moved to the Alps quite soon afterwards, and I... Uh, was able to sort of, you could say, live the cloud dream. I was uh, running it remotely. Uh, and so initially it, for my business, I actually didn't have an office. Um, and so I think when I came back to the UK after four years, I had an office and that was a huge milestone in the life of, of my business um, because having a sort of central place where people can come and uh, you meet every day, it, for my business anyway, it really accelerated the pace of how things were happening. Uh, not long after that, I was actually given a, a global award from Microsoft uh, President's Club Award. Um, I must admit at the time, I actually uh, was quite blown away by it because it's normal that maybe much larger organizations might be given that. And that was for recognition of the um, the customer service that we were giving to customers and the, the scale of growth that we were achieving at that time. So that was fantastic. Um, and I think for me then at that time, not long after that, I then probably uh, one of the most significant things, I didn't realize it at the time, but the most significant decisions I made at the time was to start selling uh, in my business support service, which allowed me to suddenly step into having recurring revenue in my business. And I would my advice to any business that's uh, starting out is if you can get your business to have a recurring revenue um, model where you're getting money in on a monthly basis um, without selling to new customers even, uh, that's a very sustainable way of growing your business. And so I started off my journey by starting to sell support to my customers uh, and then just a more recent milestone for my business has probably been in actually investing in marketing. We're very privileged as a business in that we get a lot of leads from Microsoft. We also get a lot of leads from referrals. Um, and so the partner referral model has uh, worked really well for our business. Uh, so it's been quite a new thing for us to actually invest in marketing. And so part of that is about brand and part of that's about sort of just making sure that sort of sort of newsletters and content and things like that are, are being done. So that's been quite a big milestone for my team. Um, and so along the way, we've um, been greatly honoured with the, uh, the sort of privileged team that I have to work with, um, who in themselves won at recognition and awards, particularly uh, the apprentices that I've hired over the years. So that's been wonderful to see their achievements as well. For us and uh, our listeners, it would be really interesting to talk a little bit more about some of the lessons you have learned as an entrepreneur. And you already mentioned people management as a crucial component. Um, so maybe to start with this topic, what have been some of the insights you have gained on people management and maybe particularly around cloud uh, computing? It probably enables remote working a lot. What are some of the challenges around that work setup? 
Sure. Yeah, one of my favorite areas in the business is actually the, the people side of things. And I think um, it, it I think that at the end of the day that I my philosophy is that it's hard to motivate people that motivation has to come from within. Uh, so one of the things I actually do encourage people when they join my team is to write a future 10 year uh, CV. And that way it allows me to have insight into what's their level of ambition and how can I support them on their journey? Because you never know, you might even uncover that people are uh, looking to um, set up their own business or maybe they want to be the MD of a business one day. So I'll give them more opportunity to uh, work on areas outside their sort of normal uh, domain. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's important to sort of, uh, especially when people are remote, to sort of tap into what actually motivates them, making sure they're, uh, not just doing their sort of core role to recruit it for, but you're looking to extend their skills. And it's important to sort of have regular catch ups with people, but that in a, I would say in a coaching style. And I think the more you can empower people uh, and make them feel that they own what they're working on and, and you're not sort of, say, micromanaging them, but you're making them a part of the journey of helping them understand where you're going with the business. Um, there's a lot of people on your team who have additional creative ideas that will help you on your journey. And I think that behind every successful leader will be a team of other people who are definitely there to support and, and create that sort of the path for that journey ahead. I love the idea of the 10 year CV. I might go go and write mine after we after we finish speaking. <laughs> Yes. So I understand that you encourage ap apprenticeships um, as a way of growing growing the business. Um, perhaps you can discuss with us what some of the advantages are of this form of hiring versus hiring graduates in computer science, for example, given that we a lot of the people we speak to are based in Cambridge, which is a place that is known for graduates coming out of university and going into uh, top jobs in com in computer science. Uh, perhaps you can discuss with us this different form of hiring. For sure, yeah. I would say that the great thing about apprenticeships um, these days is actually it isn't just open to, say, 19-year-olds who might be considering, shall I go to traditional university or shall I go down an apprenticeship route? It's open to everybody. So it could be that you do, in fact, go to university and study, say, I don't know, geography, and then you're at the end of the geography degree thinking, do you know what, I'd love to go and work in the tech sector and be a sort of a, a, a computer uh, salesperson or a computer um, programmer. Um, and so apprenticeships are open to people who are looking to change career, but also maybe starting out. And I think for for many people, um, apprenticeships is, is a lifeline to where the, maybe sitting at a desk um, doing traditional learning which is disconnected from the workplace can seem a bit of a dull idea but they want to just get stuck right in when I think back to my career uh, whilst I didn't follow a traditional apprenticeship route I was taken on um, alongside other graduates at IBM but I had no undergraduate degree and so I was uh, closely given the opportunity to sort of shadow other more senior people uh, which on a 
say on a normal traditional degree course you're sort of learning a lot of the time from textbooks and uh, sort of highly intelligent lecturers but maybe sometimes the practical work of being able to shadow people doing the job that you're actually doing might be more limited Um, and then the other great thing about going straight into the workplace is clearly you're obviously going to be um, earning money I've got people in in my business who started off as an apprentice at 19 and by the age of 21 they're earning £40,000, which is not bad when their friends are still at uni. And uh, so they're earning quite a lot of money. So there's definitely benefits in that. But I think that for me, uh, I think life is a long journey of learning. And I think that if you can find yourself the right apprenticeship with the right business, which for me is a very much about the cultural match and the organization's purpose, uh, does it, can you relate to that? Uh, do you feel an affinity with what the business is trying to achieve? Um, then it's a it's it's a great opportunity in a very safe environment to learn new skills because nobody expects you to come in and have done it before. I think they're very much going to be there. They're almost like there to train you, and so it's a very safe environment to be surrounded by other people who uh, who know what they're doing to sort of take you under their wing and support you whilst at the same time having some structured time for formal learning as well, which which is fantastic. And just to follow up on that, as a founder, what is the incentive to bring on people via the apprenticeship route rather than graduates who have had their education done already? Yeah, I think a lot of people think of it as a financial. I don't myself, but because because the the salaries for an apprentice are sort of lower than perhaps somebody is more experienced. Um, I think that's the wrong way of thinking of it because for me, actually, do you know what one of the, there's, it's immensely rewarding for not only myself, but for other, say, more senior people in the, in the team, having the opportunity to follow somebody who comes in fresh into the business and see the pace of which they learn and they contribute to the value to the business. Um, and the energy of particularly the younger generation coming in is, is just really contagious. And so I get a lot from that as well. But also I think if your, if your customers, uh, represent the younger generation, then it's fantastic having younger people in the business. And I think in the tech industry, when I go to conferences, it's often, sort of probably 40, 50-year-old men, graying, balding. And uh, that's the sort of demographic of the tech sector a lot of the times. It's definitely changing. And there's there's definitely a lot more women coming in. You look at Microsoft, a huge proportion of their employees, and and even the UK CEO is is a female, uh, Cindy Rose. And so I would say that uh, it's great to have a diversity of age uh, in your workforce um, for lots of reasons. It creates new leadership opportunities within your team as well as having opportunity to have a, a more diverse understanding of what's actually happening out in the world as long as you take the opportunity to bring them into your meetings, your maybe even your offsite strategy meetings. I think it's, it's a fantastic opportunity for any business to embrace uh, apprenticeships as a, as a great way of bringing in new talent. And, and in the tech sector, there's a huge shortage of talent. And so, frankly, uh, I'd rather bring in new people uh, and train them up than to just be stealing off my competitors because that doesn't help any of us. Uh, so if I feel I can be part of that journey, and uh, then that I'm, I feel that's immensely rewarding. And on the same thread of diversity, moving from the apprenticeship side into the um, leadership side and who founders and CEOs are, we really wanted to focus in on the impact that women specifically have made in the tech and entrepreneurial landscape. And you have certainly done that with Cloud9. 
Um, so if you could give one key piece of advice for aspiring female entrepreneurs, what would it be and why? So that's a great question. I think that um, I would say that I was, I was at an event uh, a couple of years ago at Microsoft when they run uh, conferences and events. They often have a women in technology sort of luncheon. And, and uh, so I was at this particular event and I was hosting, facilitating one of the tables there. and We were given a bunch of topics to talk about. And at my table of about 12 people, there was uh, business leaders, there was other people who were, um, you could say, had advanced quite far in their career, and, and people from all walks of life from around the world. And one thing that really, really struck me in that particular session was the importance of having a mentor in your life. And that all the, the people who, in my mind, had sort of, you could say, uh, gone on to set up a business or gone on to sort of uh, really further their career as much as possible, had a mentor in their life. And, and so the mentor, the form of a mentor can take many different um, paths. For me personally, uh, my mentor has actually, believe it or not, been my brother. Uh, my younger brother, of six years younger than me, he's a serial entrepreneur and he would, he and I would even now frequently talk about business. He's uh, incredibly inspiring to me. And you need a mentor who somebody who believes in you. And it's almost like somebody who's going to take your hand and instead of saying, hey, let's not stand on the one meter dive board, let's stand on the 10 meter and see what it feels like and encourage you to jump off and leap with confidence that you can do it. Because we're all going to have sort of days where we think, you know what, maybe, maybe I can't do it. Uh, but I think that having a mentor that can uh, sort of be there, support you, maybe open new doors for you, help maybe open doors that you didn't know existed, um, I think is a, is a really fantastic thing. So, yeah, I think I would say find a mentor, uh, maybe more uh, people that you can um, sort of help you, guide you on your career as to sort of what are your options and, and believe in you. That is great advice. In addition to mentors, what else would you recommend to founders they should have on board, either as advisors or as resource to go forward? So I would say that um, I, I was at a conference years ago and there was a, a, a guy there who uh, was very successful in his life and he was asked, what advice, what would you, what advice would you give to a, a, a sort of 16, 17-year-old who wanted to be an entrepreneur And he actually st himself studied uh, medicine, but he'd left after uh, first year of medicine, uh, I think, to run some nightclubs. And he was phenomenally successful. He, he's gone on to sort of start many well-known brands. Um, and his advice was that he wished in life that he'd studied um, accounting and law because it would have kept him out of a lot of trouble. Um, and I actually do think that's great advice. When I think back to the work that I do at Cloud9, in my time at IBM, I learned um, uh, we were given a lot of training on law, you could say. Uh, some of it was sort of more formal training, but things like what not to say. So make sure that you've got either people in your team or you yourself sort of understand about contracts uh, and the importance of having contracts, whether it's in for your employees, what their job descriptions, all the sort of for some people, the more dull stuff, uh, but just also the contracts of what it is that you're going to do for your customers. If you have IP, making sure that that's protected. So that legal stuff, I think, is never to be overlooked. It's of really important significance. Um, and I think it's absolutely really important. And then on the other side is finance. So if you're not uh, good at 
the number side, which is not everybody's thing, um, then make sure that you surround yourself with some people who are really good in understanding uh, the sort of, are you actually making money? How is this sustainable? Um, having a commercial perspective on what you're doing, because at the end of the day, your business will only grow if you can produce profits. And there are uh, many ways of doing that. And if you're ultimately looking to sell your business, then you need to think of creatively about uh, what does that mean for you? How are you going to achieve that? What is it that's going to increase the perceived value of your business? Uh, and definitely having um, legal and finance experts in and around you, uh, if you haven't had a chance to, to become that expert yourself, is really important. So I I think you're advice has been fantastic and I could get your insight on so many aspects of um, entrepreneurial journey and wisdom for for hours it seems um, so something that I think we could wrap up on is that it sounds um, sort of all blue sky in your journey um, but I'm and that's often the story that we hear from founders who have had successes um, such as you um, I think it would be interesting for our listeners if they can hear perhaps something in your journey that didn't go quite right that has um, taught you a lesson for how you want to uh, proceed in the future or advice that founders could take on board for themselves Sure. I think uh, one of the most common questions I get asked is uh, about finding the right people for your business. Um, and I would say that that starts from the very first moment you wake up and think, you know what, I'll, I'll start a business. So if you're, if you're going to co-found a business with a business partner, um, I would just say, be very careful about that. It's I actually, the, at the moment, I'm the only shareholder of my business. I did co-found my business. Um, and I would say there was there was actually three partners in my business in the beginning. Uh, one who uh, was working uh, for a competitor, you could say, to our business and was never able to sign the shareholder agreement. So in the end, we exited them from the business. However, uh, it would have been easier to do that earlier uh, than later. So if somebody is not working out then and they've got shares in the business, uh, even if they do nothing, even come out, if they never attend a single meeting, but they're, you register the company with Companies House and they do nothing, they still own those shares. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, so make sure that the people that you found the business with are the people that you want to go on with the journey. But if at all possible, even better in my mind, uh, look to try and uh, have people working for you in the business and be the only uh, shareholder because it gives you a lot more agility with what you do uh, in the business rather than having to consult. It's like probably a bit like being married. It's like, hey, guys, are, are we free next Thursday for dinner or uh, can we not? So you, I think when you're the sole uh, owner of a business, you can do things a lot more quickly, but definitely it doesn't mean you don't need other people around you. So if you think you can go go it alone, uh, do because um, I, I sold my uh, I bought out the shares uh, for the my business after for my sort of other co-founder after year two um, and it wasn't expected and luckily it was really amicable and we still get on today and um, we're good friends today um, and he wanted to go off and, and do something a little bit different um, but I think in the beginning a business is it's quite hard to generate revenue and profits for more than one mouth as it were so it can that can also make it a bit more difficult but if you can get some 
sort of support from your friends to sort of uh, help you with the business as it grows. But try and, if you can, uh, sort of make sure that you pick your partners well if you do go into business with them. Because um, with this one individual who didn't actually work out, we didn't even really know each other. And it's often the case that people might come together and think, yeah, that's a great idea. But do you know what? Uh, Just be cautious, I would say. Mm. And just to follow up on that, a lot of investors, early stage investors that you talk to say that they don't invest in a startup if they are if they have one single founder um, because they believe very strongly in a team based approach or they want to believe in the team. And so do you think what you're saying applies when you can get revenue from customers quite quickly rather than those startups that have to depend on VC funding? So I guess if you if you're a startup and you can get VC funding, you're very uh, that's quite luckily. Most startups are probably bootstrapped, and then maybe get some VC funding later on. I think that you absolutely do need to have uh, the best team that you can afford. In fact, my advice is to have at every time of your business hire the most. Like sometimes the quality you get between somebody who's on a salary that might be five thousand pounds more would be phenomenally different. You might need to sort of manage them less. Uh, we might, they might make less mistakes. So absolutely try and hire the most experience for every role that you have in your business where possible. Um, try and hire the most experienced people that you can who've got that industry experience. And there's a lot of um, returner, sort of return to workers, or I live in Brighton, so there's a lot of people down in Brighton who've had the people who uh, used to commute for corporates in London. They're quite happy to take a significant salary cut to come and work locally to have a better work-life balance. Or maybe you might even take somebody on part-time, two days a week, who's actually probably a a sort of significantly heavier hitter than somebody who might be full-time on a full-time salary, but you're paying the same. So I would always go for... uh, to have the best leadership team that you possibly can uh, to support you, because it is true uh, that I'm sure one of the most critical things that a, a, a VC company is looking for is a really strong leadership team. Um, but in my mind, it doesn't need to be, they don't need to be owners uh, or even shareholders of the business. Um, and if you can put together creative uh, rewards Um, in terms of compensation linked to profits of the business or other things that are important to the business growth. And there's no reason why you can't uh, incentivize them to stay with you on the journey and help them take a reward in the success of the business. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Carleen. This has been a great conversation. I I really enjoyed that. Great stuff. Yes. Thank you so much, Carleen, for coming on the show with us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks very much to Carlene for joining us on Q Talks. This podcast is produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. And we would like to also say a big thanks to the team at QTech who have all been working hard behind the scenes. Thank you very much for listening. And please do go ahead and rate us or leave a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet us at QTech to suggest a guest or theme, or tell us about your experiences with applying technical skills at startups. You'll also find us at qtech.io slash qtalks.